Thank you, Lord is right. How are we doing, church? Welcome to New Hope. I am so, so thankful that you are here today on this Sunday after Easter. It is the Sunday after Easter, but we are still Easter people. Year around, we are Easter people, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to all of the campus locations. Also thrilled that you are here. A couple things. Uh, you received one of these at all of our campuses I have gone through Romans chapter 8 as we get ready to end this series. I have gone through Romans chapter 8, and I have picked out eight of the most powerful verses of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. And here's my challenge to you. Take this sheet of verses and go memorize these verses of Scripture. If you want to receive the blessing and the favor of God, if you want to go towards what we're talking about today, and that is becoming more than conquerors, I highly, highly recommend that you do that. Next, I have some incredible praise report that I just want to give to the entire movement today. These are global numbers. This is not just the Durham campus. But you might recall that we set out with some really big, big BHAGs going into Easter. And we shared those with you in advance. I got everybody praying about those BHAGs. And I want to walk you through some numbers that I hope just blesses your soul. A BHAG, I mean, a, a, an incredible growth percentage in this Easter over last year's Easter, or in general what we've had in the past, we set out a BHAG of 8,558 in attendance. And we actually had 9,852 people come to the movement last weekend. Look at the other numbers. We set out a goal of 309 first-time guests. And these are just the ones that we know, right? Like when I go to a church typically and they want you to mark if you're a first-time guest, like I'm the guy who never marks anything. Now, if you're a first-time guest, don't follow me there. Um, but we had 327 first-time guests let us know that they were in the house of the Lord. And by far the most important one is we prayed for 204 salvations. And we saw, again, just those that we know, we saw 377 people give their lives to Christ. Come on now. Woo! If that doesn't fire you up, your wood is wet. And uh, rightly so on a rainy Sunday morning. But those folks leaned their life into Christ, first time accepted Jesus, and gave their lives to Christ. That is what we should celebrate, church. And listen, here's why this is important. Because we're not doing it just for numbers. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story is a soul that is one for whom Jesus Christ came, bled, died, and rose again. Every person matters. Great churches are grown one person at a time. Can I get a strong amen? Yeah, and a clap. And a clap. Absolutely. Hey, one more thing. Um, we're going there. We're going there. We're going to talk about race. And uh, there, there are very few subjects. I think maybe most of you know this about me, but maybe not. Very few subjects for which I am more passionate than race relations. 
It's second, of course, to my passion for Christ and the gospel, but I believe it is all up in the gospel. And uh, we're going to study Ephesians, and we're going to go after this topic. Check it out. Speak English. You're in America. Just because you come from another country, it'll make you nobody. And you so-called Asians, you Filipinos, waste of space. How long have you been in this country? You're not important enough. No, I'm not going to get over it. I would never call you guys good. any you racial Because black lives don't matter. On the top of the car. It's in riot gear. The man killed three people after saying he hated white people. 32-year-old Philando Castile has died. Born and raised in the deep, deep south with racism all around me. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I believe this. I believe racism is America's original sin. And um, something takes over me. I think, it's a, I think it's a righteous anger, but nothing gets me quite like racism when you step back and understand it from a biblical theological perspective. And um, you know people that would come to church if you told them we were doing this series. Because you know a lot of people who don't go to church because Sundays is still the most segregated hour. Right? And the world looks at us and they say, if God's people can't even live together in peace, count me out. Which is why what God is doing here is so special. So let them know. Let them know. Throw it out there. Invite them. And there will be people who will come to church just because we are a church that's going to tackle a very controversial issue. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And uh, we thank you that you are a creator God who created all of us. And uh, you are a God who is willing to save all of us and speak to us. So, Father, we make ourselves available to you today. Would you speak to us? We are here ready to hear a word from you. Would you pour out your spirit on us? Father God, would you anoint me today to do that which I cannot do on my own? Would you take my lips and speak through them? For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will be spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take out your teaching notes. Take out your, your phones, your, your iPads, if anybody even carries those around anymore. Um, take out your old school Bible, whatever the case may be, but definitely get those teaching notes in front of you. Check in on Facebook because it is huge, but then get your face out of Facebook and get your face in God's book and let's go get his word. Anyway, hey, there, there's a seed in you. There is a seed of greatness in you. 
Every single person here at every single campus, and those of you who might be watching this anywhere around the globe on your computer, there is a seed inside of you. And if I were to show you a mustard seed without telling you what it was, most of you would have no clue what it was, unless you were a horticulturalist, and then you would be cheating. But a mustard seed is a small small round seed, less than two millimeters in diameter that comes in three primary varieties of color, yellow, black, and white. It seems so simple, and yet Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move. Go ahead now. You can move. I'm going to go ahead today. Don't you worry. You're going to move mountains. Within this single seed is a remarkable nutritional profile. Put your thinking caps on for a moment. Including vitamins A, B6, C, E, and K. It's also a source of calcium, iron, and magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, sodium, and zinc, just to name a few. It has anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer properties, and it tastes fantastic on a pretzel at a baseball game this time of year. In In my opinion, seeds rank as one of God's most amazing creations, and like I said, Jesus used it as an object lesson. We know of trees that come from acorns. But how, have you ever thought about this? How in the world does a thimble-sized acorn turn into a 100-foot oak tree that can live 200 years? While on the subject, how does a little black seed become a watermelon, which I love to eat this time of year too? A beautiful green watermelon. William Jennings Bryan commented on the watermelon as he tried to convince people about faith in God. He used it as a metaphor, if you will, for the mystery of God. Jennings said this, I have observed the watermelon seed. It has the power of drawing from the ground and threw itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can tell me, Bryan says... When you can tell me how it takes this material and out of it colors an outside surface beyond the imitation of art and then forms in it a white rind and within that again a red heart thickly inlaid almost to perfection. That was my throw in. And black seeds, each one of which in turn is capable of drawing through itself 200,000 times its weight. Brian ends with this, when you can explain to me the mystery of a watermelon, you can ask me to explain to you the mystery of God. Come on now, that's a great quote. And if I might add, while we're on the subject of watermelons, anyone can count the number of seeds in a watermelon, hello. But only God can count the number of watermelons in a seed. There is a seed inside of you. There is a seed. You just might want to write that one nugget down. There is a seed of greatness inside of me. 
You need to be able to start declaring victory and truth over your life. Write it down, underline it in red, and circle it three times. There is a seed of greatness up inside of me. And I wanted to let you know on this Sunday after Easter, if Easter is all we get, if all we get is one day of the year to go, woohoo! And lean our ladder up against the gospel, up against the cross. And if it ends there and you don't learn to live with that victory every day of your life, you are woefully defeated and you are not experiencing the abundant life of God. Again, there is a seed of greatness inside of you. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're starting to wrap up this series. You don't want to miss next week. It's the last Sunday of the series. But we're going to read verses 28 through 39. And I'm going to do something that I haven't done in a while, but I'd still love to do it. I'm going to ask you, would you please stand in honor of God's word? Amen. Stand in honor of the word of God. Ready? Go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Great job. You sound good. Might as well continue. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Amen. And I got to tell you, you people, you sound incredible. You are belching out the word of the Lord today. Let's continue. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was also raised to life. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. No. Everybody say no. no. No, we are not sheep to be slaughtered. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you're going to clap for something today, clap for the word of God.
You may be seated. God has predestined you to be transformed into the image of Jesus. God has put a seed inside of you. And the fact that you are sitting here today tells me God is not done with you yet. He has predestined you to greatness. God's word tells us that you are more than a conqueror. Can you see yourself today as more than a conqueror? Your destiny is greatness. Easter comes around to remind you every single year. Are you living into your destiny? And some of you are here today and you don't believe that about yourself. And I just stopped by to look at you and tell you I believe it about you even if you don't believe it about you. Like, look into my eyes. I believe that you are more than a conqueror. I believe that God has put greatness inside of you. And I don't care what your mama said. I don't care what your daddy said. I don't care what a school teacher said. I don't care what an ex-spouse says. You have greatness inside of you. And it is time for you to allow Easter to bring it out of you. Have you ever just started declaring bold predictions over your life? Have you ever just started to speak greatness over you? The year was 1932. I'm a big baseball fan, by the way. I love baseball history. I played in the Little League World Series when I was a kid. Lost, broke my heart. Lost in the championship game, and I was a pitcher. 1932 was the World Series going down between the Chicago Cubs and the New York Yankees. The series was tied one game apiece. Game three was tied four runs apiece. And that's when at the top of the fourth inning, Babe Ruth stepped up to the plate. He stepped into the batter's box and it was the classic showdown. Between Babe Ruth and Charlie Root, who was still the winningest pitcher in Chicago Cubs history. Babe Ruth was, well, the babe. And the babe stepped into the batter's box. And he took one strike from the right-hander. And then he took strike two. And the fans at Wrigley Field started to heckle Babe Ruth. And that's when it happened. Babe Ruth stepped out of the batter's box. I meant to bring an old Louisville slugger with me from the house. He stepped out of the batter's box, pointed toward center field, stepped back into the batter's box. Here it came. Pow! Right where he pointed the bat. The babe had boldly predicted that which he did. Here's my question for you today. Have you ever spoken any bold predictions over your life? Think about it. And I'm going to let it sit there for a moment. Have you ever spoken any bold predictions over your marriage? Have you ever spoken bold predictions over your children, over your vocation? Have you ever boldly predicted your future even in the face of criticism 
I was 19 years old in a drug rehabilitation center. I had been arrested six times in a seven-year period. I was trying to get sober. Never shared this story from the stage. And I share it a little sheepishly, a little ashamed of myself. I'd been in the drug rehab center for two weeks. I had been in jail before that three months. Three months and two weeks, I had been drug-free. My girlfriend shows up at the drug rehabilitation center by the name of Kim Makovich. She visits me in the lobby area during the time that I could receive visitors. And I got close to her, probably trying to do something that I shouldn't do. Trying to give her a little smooch, if you know what I mean. And I smelt the drugs. And I went ballistic. And I told her, how dare you come around me with drugs on your breath when you know what I'm trying to do. And I reared back, and I'm not proud of this moment, and I punched, not her, I would never hit a woman. I punched a hole in the glass wall that she stood beside. And my, if, uh, you won't be able to see it, but if you ever get close to me, or you ever shake my right hand and look, you'll see a scar. It's a, it's a big scar. It goes up, it goes all the way down. You might be able to see it right there. And as I pulled my hand out, my finger fell limp. And I knew, oh my Lord, I have done something bad. And I grabbed my hand and with blood shooting out of my hand, I looked at Kim and I told her to get away from me. And I said, I want you to know I am going to defeat drug addiction and I am going to get my life out of this hell hole and make something great of myself. Bold predictions over your life. Just a few months later, I am in, anybody ever going to night school? I'm in night school. Anybody ever did night school? I was in night school, which means I had dropped out of high school and no schools would have me. And so when I got out of the drug rehabilitation center, I was one of those cats in night school. And I was going not to get a diploma, but to get my GED. And I'm in night school getting my GED, and I didn't stay long because I realized very, very quickly this is not for me. So we ended up getting a school to finally let me in. But I'm in night school, and this old running buddy comes up to me, and he goes, Benji Kelly, ha, <laughs> ha, you'll never get your GED. And I, I don't know what happened. I just remember it so vividly. I straightened my spine and I looked at him in his eyes. I said, not only will I get my GED, I will go to college. And not only will I go to college, I'll be the first Kelly to ever get a graduate degree. Bold, bold predictions. Have, have you ever spoken one over your life? Because I don't tell you those stories to like puff me up. I, I, listen, I still got so far to go. I, I am, phew, boy, I'm still a mess. But I've spoken bold predictions over my life from time to time. And when you speak a bold prediction over your life, I'm just telling you something happens. There is a seed. There is a seed of greatness inside of you. And maybe it's time for you to call that seed of greatness out of you. This is the Apostle Paul. Shipwrecked, beaten, 40 minus 1. This was the same Paul that had been imprisoned. And it doesn't matter if you were 80 or 18. It is never too late to speak a word 
of bold prediction over your life. It is never too late to speak prophecy over your life. Everybody needs somebody to believe in them. And if you don't believe in yourself, I believe in you. I believe in you. Maybe it's high time you start believing in yourself. It's never too late to become who you might have been. Let me say that again. Oh, my. It's never too late to become who you might have been. Think about Peter. Peter. Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And yet Jesus looked at Peter and also referred to him as Simon and eventually said to him, on this rock, I will build my church. There was a prostitute. That was Matthew 16, by the way. If you go to Matthew 26, there was a prostitute. One of the most amazing stories in the Bible. I've been away this week working on my book, Pray For Me. The publishers have said it's due Memorial Day, no exceptions. And so I was away in the mountains this week writing on this book, feverishly writing. It's nine chapters. It's the New Hope story, my story interwoven together. It's called Wrecked. And I was, I was up in the mountains. So one of the chapters is on this prostitute. I, I, so I was hanging out with this prostitute all week long. Which, oh, that sounds weird. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. If you're going to use a clip and you edit it out like you productions people do from time to time, don't just edit that clip out and throw it out there. <laughs> but I was hanging out with this prostitute this week in Matthew 26, and one of the most amazing things to me, amazing things to me, is that this prostitute does this irrational, benevolent, unbelievably generous thing with Jesus. She anoints his feet with perfume worth a lot of money. And Jesus looks at her. I want you to throw this verse up there. Jesus looks at her and says this, Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Have you ever thought about that? There were close to 100 Caesars. You can't name a one of them. Unless you named one from that King Tut movie. Or music, was that museum movie? Night of the Museum. And then you'd be cheating a little bit. You, we, I, we, we can't name them. But here we are 2,000 years later. Still telling the story of a prostitute who anointed the feet of Jesus. I'm here to tell you it's never too late to become that which God is calling you to be. You are more than a conqueror. If you believe it, let me hear the rowdiest amen I've ever heard. Yeah, you're more than a conqueror. So let me end today. I want to give you four, just four quick points of application that will allow you to start to step into your destiny because I'm telling you, church, if all you do is you get saved or maybe you've been coming to church for 30 years and you aren't feeling like you're tapping into greatness, if all you're doing is claiming a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you are not allowing God to come in and change you so that you can help us change the world, you are missing the mark. 
And I'm tired. I'm so sick and tired of complacent Christianity. It's not even in my notes. I feel like I'm about to step right on over here and preach a whole nother sermon. Called to hell with complacent Christianity. I did it. sick and tired of, of the church. The church claiming Christians and Christians going to church and Christians singing just as I am while they stay just freaking as they are. Four, four things that will allow you to start to step into your destiny your future that will help you step into becoming more than a conqueror. And again, I'll say it. If you don't believe it about yourself, I believe it about you. Four things. Good God, write these down. Put them in front of you. Ladies, I know you like to write on mirrors. Write them on your mirror. Guys. Print them off with these verses of Scripture. Start feeding your mind on truth. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And you might have heard that before. But if you're going to become more than a conqueror, there's a really good likelihood that God will call you to do something for which you don't feel qualified. Again, I was in the mountains this week, and numbers started coming to me from some of the staff. And can I just be vulnerable again, transparent? I looked at that, and I thought, I don't feel qualified to lead a church that's on the verge of, on a regular basis, reaching 10,000 people. I, I, I don't feel qualified. To be honest with you, and again, being very transparent, I felt woefully ineffective. I felt woefully unqualified, if that's even a word, right? I felt inadequate. I didn't feel like I was talented enough. I don't feel like I'm smart enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough. But I stopped by to let you know that when God ordains something and when God anoints you for a task, it doesn't matter whether or not you feel qualified. In fact, he wants you to feel not qualified because then when he struts his stuff in your life, there is no denying it was God. You want to get out there on the limb, shaking like a leaf on the tree, but have you ever realized it is out on the limb where the fruit is? God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the call. So if you're sitting here and you're not doing jack squat in a certain area because you don't feel qualified enough, God is trying to shake you, give you a spiritual kick in your butt, and move you out towards greatness so that he can strut his stuff in your life. Number two, get you some of this. You need this. The anointing is for everyone. The anointing is for everyone. It's not for the pastor only. It's not for the church staff member only. It surely ain't for the Pope only. 
The anointing is for everyone. God gives freely the anointing that he wants to put in a person's life to do that which he has ordained and destined that person to do. So I don't care if you are a barista. Make me a latte to the glory of God. I don't care if you're a barber, cut my hair to the glory of God. I don't care if you're a forester, do it to the glory of God. I don't care what it is you're called to do. Just by all means, do it to the glory of God. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, If God's called you to be a street sweeper, sweep those daggum streets to the glory of God. He might not have thrown daggum in there. That's, that's a tongue twister. Sweep those streets to the glory of God. God's called you to be a stay-home parent. Raise those children to the glory of God and receive the anointing that God wants to put on your life so that you can do greatness and be more than a conqueror wherever you are. The anointing is for everyone. Oh, my Lord, if I haven't preached yet, I'm about to preach on this next one. <laughs> Criticizing, well, is for whiners, but creating is for winners. I can't stand negative Eeyore hypercritical people I can't if you are a hypercritical person God loves you I'm trying really hard to love you but stay away from me I can't stand drama kings and drama queens who all they want to do is criticize, criticize, criticize. Why don't you do this? Why don't you stop criticizing? And why don't you start creating a solution for that which you are criticizing? If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. Come on. Come on. I'm going to call a spade a spade up here today. Criticism is a cop-out for those who are too freaking lazy to solve the problem for which they are criticizing. Say it again, he said. I will. Criticism is a cop-out for those who are too lazy to create the solution about which they are complaining or criticizing. It's a cop-out. So if you are a hypercritical person, I hate to break it to you. What I'm saying to you is that you are too lazy to solve the problem for which you are criticizing. Oh, he said it. Criticism is for whiners. Creating solutions is for winners. And I love you enough to just say it. I love you enough to see the seed in you and speak victory and power and conquering over your life to shake you out of being the negative, criticizing person that you are. This world has way too many negative, criticizing people. Have you figured that out? 
This world has way too many people who all they do is sit on their butt all day long and curse the darkness. Here's an idea. Get off your butt. Join me and this church. And let's light some light around this world and make it a better place. Let's live like Easter people. Let's lean our life into the cross and realize that we are not victims. Jesus wasn't a victim. He went here willingly. He bled and died willingly, but he didn't stay down. He got up and changed the world. And now he's inviting you to join me and this church to keep changing the world. The most constructive criticism, I put this like, like this in my notes, the most constructive criticism you will ever offer is creative solutions to solve the problems for which you are complaining. Not saying, not saying, not saying that we shouldn't be able to articulate when there's a problem. Hear me, I'm, this is important right here, now that I think about it. Not saying that you and I don't identify when something is not right. I just told you how mad I get over racism. But if all I did was sit around and talk about how bad racism is, but I didn't do anything to bridge the racial divide that is tearing our country apart, I am a lazy, critical drama king who is worthless. Didn't say not loved by God. You can be loved by God, but be worthless to the kingdom of God. Hello. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. You can be loved by God, treasured by God, and you can be saved and absolutely worthless to the purpose and the cause of God on planet Earth. To which I would say, God, why do you even leave those people around? Like if you... I've been to the mountain this week, church. I've been to the mountain this week. why, Why does God allow some people to just sit around and keep sucking oxygen when they aren't doing any good for the purposes of God in the world? If I, if I wasn't doing anything for God, he might as well just take me home because I'm going to heaven, which is a far better place than here. Have you ever thought about that? And some people, speaking of heaven, oh, I'm just going in all kinds of directions. Spe- speaking of heaven, some of you are so heavenly focused that you are earthly worthless. Maybe I need to say that again. Some of you are so heavenly focused that you are earthly worthless. (laughs) No, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. Number four. Cockers. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Conquerors, and you're more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Whoever you are, wherever you are, if you have leaned your life up against the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are more than a conqueror. It's just high time you start stepping into that. And one of the ways in which you become more than a conqueror is you live your life not for the applause of man, not for the applause of spouse, not for the applause of your children, but you live your life for the applause of nail scarred hands. You live your life before an audience of one. And that 
is when God knows I have a man. I have a woman who's not in a popularity contest. But instead wants to please me and only me. And when God gets a man, woman, child, or student who lives their life before an audience of one, he unleashes. This thing goes back full circle. I didn't think about it when I prepared this. Full circle. He knows he's got a man and woman that he can put the anointing of God on. He's not going to waste his anointing on someone who is in a popularity contest. He's not going to waste his anointing for someone who lives for the pundits and the, and the critical thinkers. He's going to give his anointing to the man or the woman who wants to please God above everything else. End with a story. I don't know about you, but like I... I, I can't stand upgrading my phone to the new operating system. Like, like, where are you going with this? Stick with me. Oh, I'm going somewhere. I can't, any of you, any, who, how many of you at all the camps raise your hand? How many of you, like, whenever the little box pops up and it's time for you to upgrade, how many of you go, yes, and you upgrade it right away? Show of hands. You're, you people are weird. Because you're inviting trouble in your life, Right? Because it never works seamlessly. It always jacks your phone up, right? How many of you are like me and you wait until you see that box at about the tenth time? Exactly, right? But I don't know if you realize this or not, and by, by no means am I an uh, Apple genius, but let me just give you some computer technology um, uh, wisdom that I read up on this week, again, as I was working on some other things. I don't know if you realize this, but the operating system or the OS is the interface between the hardware and software applications. It's the applications thing that is in, in your phone that, that allows you to connect, if you will, between silly things like Angry Birds and Instagram. There is this, there is this thing that's in your phone that the computer geeks call the kernel. They call it what? The kernel, which provides the most basic level of control over all your hardware devices. It, it manages input and output requests. It's responsible for memory allocation, and it establishes priorities. Again, it is called what? It's called what? It's called the kernel. You're with me. Occasionally, computers will experience what is called priority inversion. As I was reading about it this week, I realized that human beings also experience priority inversion. Come on, stick with me here. We, we have this ability, many of us have a very good ability of inverting our priorities. That is why I started out telling you that there is a seed of greatness inside of you and some of you have allowed that priority to be inverted and you've allowed other voices to speak and define your life and I came to let you know today that God's word declares that you are more than a conqueror stick with me simply put priority inversion is when a high priority task is preempted by a low priority task the inverting is relative priority of the two tasks. It's the kernel. It's the kernel that keeps this from happening. The kernel establishes what they call in the computer world preemptive priorities. Everybody say that with me. Preemptive 
priorities. When you're multitasking, and we don't know what we believe about multitasking anymore. Some of you pride yourself on being great multitaskers. You might want to think a little bit harder on that. But when we're multitasking, it is the kernel that determines which application takes precedence. I know I'm about to lose some of you with this computer talk, but again, stick with me. If you think of your brain, hello, as an operating system, we all have a kernel. The key code is your default settings. It's your core beliefs. It's your core convictions. It's the most brilliant values that always arrive on the surface when you have difficult decisions to make. Maybe you've never thought of them as preemptive priorities, but that's what they are. It's the truest thing about you. And what Romans 8 rolls around and builds to it's kind of the crescendo, if you will. It's kind of the proclamation of one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. It's a doxology, if you will. It is the kernel of truth in God's word that declares over me and declares over you that you are more than a conqueror in Christ. And he has planted this seed, this kernel of truth inside your life and it is time for you to rise up face your fears tell your critics to get the behind me I am more than a conqueror in Christ don't you put a limit on my life don't you tell me what I can or cannot do I am going to live my life before an audience of one stand to your feet Read this verse of scripture just as loud as you can one more time and then we're going to think about it today. We're gonna to put it on the screen. We're gonna declare it out over our lives. Ready, go. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now say this with me. I am more than a conqueror. All the campuses, I am more than a conqueror. Now live like it. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and the people of God said together, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, God. Let's pray together. Father, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. We thank you, Lord God, that your word declares that over us, which we so often can't declare over ourselves. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have gathered today to hear your word. Father, I thank you for those who are streaming online right now or those who are watching this in front of their television and all those at all of our campuses. Father, I pray that in this sacred moment they will feel your Holy Spirit rising up inside of them. Father God, that they would sense that this is a kernel of truth that they are more than conquerors. 
And that it doesn't matter what might come their way. Nothing in all of creation will separate them from the love of Christ Jesus. So Father God, allow us to dream again. Allow us to lift our eyes to the horizon, to lift our eyes to the heavens from whence our help comes. And let this church be made up of men and women who will not settle for low living, who will not settle for complacent Christianity, but who open their very lives to the Holy Spirit of God, who dare to dream conquering dreams, who rise up, Father God, as Romans 8 says, and allows you to conform us. You've predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Therefore, whom shall we fear? Nothing. No one. For we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast. And thanks for being a part of our church family.